The Lord is my shepherd. That's my message today. That's my text. You can go read it in Psalm 23 if you want to, but it's just a sentence or part of a sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to think about this. And if I thought that we, I don't mean this critically, but if I thought we had the capacity to sit here for half an hour and meditate on that sentence, that is what my sermon would be. So I want you to just think about it for 10 or 15 seconds. Because we are Americans, we don't know how to meditate. Our minds are fragmented. They're in every different direction constantly. Our culture trains us to be that way. We live lives of continual distraction and informational bombardment. So I'm not going to pretend that we can sit here and meditate on a truth of God for the rest of the service. But I want you to think about nothing except that sentence for 10 or 15 seconds. Close your eyes if you have to. Think about it. The Lord is my shepherd. How do you feel? You feel anything? Do you feel some of his love? Do you feel overwhelmed, amazed? Do you feel scared? How does that make you feel to meditate on that? Do you feel comforted? Who is the Lord? And is he qualified to be our shepherd? What is a shepherd, first of all? What's a sheep? Maybe we have to start there, because a shepherd takes care of sheep. What's a sheep? What do you think of when you see a sheep? You think of a little stuffed animal, lamby type thing, or do you think of a sticker on a kid's coloring book? Do you think of uh, what? A cartoon? You know what I think of? My first impulse when I think of a sheep, frustration. Because I've raised goats, and they're similar. Although I'm told by people who know knew both goats and sheep that sheep are more docile and they're not as frustrating as goats but they're very similar they both produce milk depending on the breed they can both produce fur they're about the same size they run around they eat mostly the same stuff and and with some exceptions they both have to have a shepherd what do you think of when you think of a sheep scripture tells us that the Lord is our shepherd, we're the sheep of his pasture. What do you think of when you think of a pasture? Allergies? <laughs> this time of year? Do you see how corrupted our environment is? The things God intends us to think about. When we think of pasture, we should have only one positive thought. 
the sustaining power and grace of God. And yet, because of the fallen nature we live in, there are all these other things. You go lie down in a pasture. It's very pleasant, but if you're like me, you'll get up itching. <laughs> We're not supposed to think about that. It may be back then in the time of David who wrote this psalm, maybe their environment was clean enough that he didn't have allergy, he didn't have hay fever maybe. It would be tough being a shepherd if you did. would that be hard? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? We talked a little bit about what a sheep is. A sheep, I, I guess I should say, I guess everybody knows what a sheep is. It's a, about a... 100 pound, give or plus, depending on if it's a male or female, what breed. Four-legged animal with little curly fur. Sheep are not the smartest animals. In fact, they're notorious for their stupidity. Did you know that? A, are they flocks or herds? Flock. A flock of sheep. I'm showing I'm a city boy. I feel like it should be a herd of sheep. Are y'all sure? All right, flock of sheep, flock of chickens. Interesting that we're compared to sheep and chickens. Jesus said to his people, how often have I desired to gather you under my wings like a mother hen over her little baby chickens, but you would not allow it. In a very similar fashion, the shepherd gathers the sheep under his protection. Did you know sheep without a shepherd? Jesus looked on the multitudes in one case, and it says he looked on the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion because they were scattered about like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we are. What do sheep do without a shepherd? They'll run headlong off a cliff. Follow the lead sheep off a cliff. Die. They'll do that. Sheep without a shepherd, if a wolf comes, they will back up into a corner of a pasture and a single wolf can kill all of them. They don't know how to fight back. When an event like that happens, they don't know how to escape one by one. They don't have an independent thought process. They have mob mentality. You know what sheep make me think of in our current world? Protesters. They don't know why they're there. I watch these people, whether it's the Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street or Black Lives Matter or, or uh, just yesterday I was driving down the road and there were people on the corner shouting, health care is a universal right. It's a human right, they said. Let us not give up the fight. Health care is a human right. <laughs> what does that even mean? And if I sit down and talk to people like that and say, what exactly are you protesting? They'll be clueless. I've tried it. I'll say, if it's a human right, where does it come from? Do you pick health care up out of the ground? If you understand what's in the ground, you do. <laughs> Literally. But what they're talking about is some entity should provide security and safety for me. They don't think about where it comes from or who has to pay for it or how it gets there. They don't think about the cost. That's the mob mentality that sheep have without a leader that they trust, without a shepherd. And that's how Jesus saw people. 
Sheep don't have independent thoughts of their own. I don't know what goes on in a sheep brain, but according to animal scientists and people who understand sheep, not a whole lot, if they're right. So, we're sheep. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Don't feel bad. Don't be hard on yourselves. See, you don't have to be some powerful lion or wolf or bear or something because a sheep is protected by his shepherd. Did you know a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep if he has to? Usually doesn't have to. He's got a shepherd's staff. These days he's carrying a rifle. But back then he had that staff that he could fight off wild animals with. He might have a sling like David had who fought off a bear and a lion, killed him. Shepherds are not wimpy people. They're powerful. I want you to think about something else that a sheep is like. How tall are they? About this tall. About up to your waist, depending on how tall you are. And unless they have a tree or something to lean against, they can't stand on their hind legs and look out and have a better vantage point. So automatically, even just in the natural realm, a sheep is about, his eyes are about half the height of a shepherd. The shepherd can see things the sheep can't see. The shepherd can climb up in a tree if he has to. Sheep can't do that. And that way they're not like goats. <laughs> goats will literally climb a tree and stand on the limbs to get to the leaves. I've seen a picture in Africa of, a goat, a, a tree full of goats. <laughs> the limbs were low enough, they climbed up and climbed out on them. And sheep don't do that. You know what else a sheep does? Goats are browsers, they eat up in the air. Sheep eat on the ground. They hold their heads down all the time. You know how the shepherd leads the sheep? By his voice. Their bodies aren't manufactured in such a way and their minds don't work in such a way that they can logically comprehend his instructions in their, in their mind, look at him, follow him. They just follow his voice. We're sheep. That's how we follow our shepherd, by his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and another will they not follow. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Not only does a shepherd have a better vantage point of sheep, and as I said, he can climb up in a tree and look around for danger. He can see clouds off in the distance of a storm coming and know that he has to gather the sheep into a rocky crevice or something to protect them. And they may think that he's taken them away from what they really need. There are times that a shepherd... I saw a picture of this in, in the Middle East of this huge natural cave... There are times that a shepherd drives his sheep from a green lust, lush pasture into a cave, a dark, musty cave with no food in it. Why? For their own good. There may be a storm coming that would kill the whole flock. He can see that through his wisdom and understand and protect them. So not only does a shepherd have a better vantage point, not only does he have superior reasoning powers, but he lives a whole lot longer than sheep. 
I'm not sure what the average lifespan is of a sheep if he lives to full age and dies of old age, but most sheep, that's not the predestined purpose of their life. It's just a year or two. In the context of Scripture, many sheep were raised as sacrificial lambs, and their lives were very short. So you think about that. This shepherd, maybe he's been alive. Usually he was the youngest child of a family, but he might have been alive 20 or 30 years. If he's an older shepherd, 40 or 50. He's got all those years of wisdom and all the things that his father and mother taught him about life and the things that God taught him. And he uses all of that to help the sheep. He has a frame of reference. He has a capacity of knowledge. He has wisdom and understanding that sheep cannot grasp. David, who wrote Psalm 23, was a shepherd. He kept his father's flocks. Interesting, he didn't have his own flocks. He kept them for his father. And he learned about the character of sheep. He learned about the character of a shepherd. He learned what it was like to face danger with fearlessness. He learned what it was like. I'm sure he had some sheep die, some lambs. Some lambs are stillborn. Some lambs die from the cold. A good shepherd protects most of his sheep, but in the natural realm, he'll still lose a few. Jesus Christ, spiritually, the good shepherd, he said about his relationship with his Father, those you've given me I've kept, and not one of them is lost. He never loses a sheep. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that is a statement of such surrender, of such abandoned to the provision and care of God, when he says that, it's, the, it's not like when people today say something like that. Today when we say something like that, a lot of times it's a person who's been trained by religion to try to work up a feeling that they don't really have to make themselves believe something they don't really believe about a God they don't really know. You think about that. And when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew what it meant. In him saying that statement, he was saying, I'm just a helpless, weak, unable to protect myself, stupid sheep. I'm not even smart enough to know what's best for my own good. When he said that, he recognized all of that. And when he said, the Lord is my shepherd... He recognized what a shepherd was because he was. He knew what that meant. The shepherd is so far superior and so much wiser, so much more powerful and has so much better interest. And all the sheep cares about is walking around with his head down eating. It'll sleep some. It'll attend other bodily functions of nature. That's it. Who is this Lord who David called his shepherd? Who is our shepherd if we're saved? Who is he? I want to read just a few passages of Scripture to make you think about this. Psalm 100, verse 3. 
And I already paraphrased this. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathens and I will be exalted in the earth. Another translation of that is cease your striving and rest in me. He says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, one of my favorite passages, Elijah's up on the hill, the mountain, and he through God's power, has just demonstrated the mighty power of God. And the people say, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And we will follow Him. That was the point. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, all of these references are in his mind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that is how God created everything, through the word of his mouth. Now there's a deeper implication of God the Lord being the shepherd of David. And that is not just God the Father, but Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, man and God, God in the flesh, the Savior. David recognized that he wasn't just talking about uh, Jehovah, he was also talking about Yeshua. He knew. He knew Messiah would come. You listen to this. Now these passages are beyond my comprehension, but they're true. And the Holy Spirit confirms it, and they're straight from Scripture. Listen to the Lord who we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. This is Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created. Stop and meditate on that for a moment. Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. In other words, He is in bodily form a representation of all that God is. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. No man has seen God at any time, but a lot of people saw Jesus. And we can still see Jesus today through eyes of the Spirit. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of every creature. For by Him or in Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. What did Paul say? Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the rulers of this present darkness. Who created principalities and powers? According to Colossians, Jesus Christ did. Now, I should clarify that because at the time of creation, Jesus was the Word. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same, the same Word, the Greek word is logos, the living Word of God. The same was in the beginning with God. All This is John chapter 1. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. How is that possible? That in the Son of God, who hasn't even been born as a man yet, so therefore, at least in my finite mind, He's not Jesus yet, or at least not in bodily form, and yet He was Jesus in the heart of God. Are you amazed? Are you confused? And how silly when you think about something like this that people would pretend, would presume to be able to understand the omnipotent Lord of the earth. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is aware of all of this. Through eyes of faith and through revelation of the Spirit of God, he understood that this would come to pass. David prophesied about the crucifixion of Jesus. About his suffering. That is really what part of Psalm 23, that is one of the meanings of Psalm 23. It's about the suffering of Jesus. You read Psalm 22, 23, and 24 in conjunction sometime. The 22nd Psalm. I I, I have to mention this because this is part of who is the Lord. I'm going to read a few of these verses in Psalm 22 if you want to turn with me. And then I'll read some of Psalm 24. Psalm 22, verse 1. This is help us understand the Lord. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That is how David felt, but it is also a prophecy of what Jesus Christ, the Messiah, felt on the cross. He said, I cry in the daytime, but you hear me not in the night season. I'm not silent. Remember the darkness that came upon the face of the earth? Seventh verse, all that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and they said, you deliver these other people. Can't you deliver yourself? If you're really Jesus, call for angels to come and deliver you from the cross. David saw this through prophetic eyes, what would come to pass. This too is a direct prophecy of Jesus. 14th verse, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me into the dust of death. What does Scripture say? That Jesus, by the grace of God, would taste death for every man. Dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. How did David have the foresight to prophesy about a death of a Savior who wasn't born with a method of punishment that wasn't invented yet? At the time that Psalm 22 was written, there was no such thing as crucifixion. Do you know that? It was invented later. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. In other words, you remember Jesus had no bones broken? It was customary on the cross to come by and break the bones of the crucified criminal. So that after a while he was staying alive too long, they'd break his legs and he would collapse and die pretty soon. Jesus, because of the immense weight, the spiritual burden upon him, died way sooner than they expected. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. This is clear prophecy of the Messiah. And David, when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, he also has Psalm 22 in his mind. That this same Lord who is going to suffer for me, who's going to die that death that I never could have died so that I never have to try to die it. The Lord is my shepherd. This same Lord who had the spiritual wherewithal to endure that. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, in Psalm 24, we see the glorious side of this terrible event in history. It's only ten verses. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is part of why David said the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, he's established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? It's a question. Who can do that? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived in history that that scripture fits. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises to Isaac and Jacob and on and on. Now this is the part that I think is so beautiful about Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. I believe that this is talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ. That in heaven, now I don't know how this works, we talked about gates around the city of Jerusalem this morning and how important they are and how there were so many. It is almost as if there is some type of supernatural watchtowers in heaven that aren't going to let anybody in except the right people. The ones who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And more important than that, there's nobody worthy. And so these gates and these doors, it says lift up, open up, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. What is it talking about? Jesus Christ has just triumphed over the hardest, most difficult, impossible battle that could ever be won. He defeated death. You think your battles are hard? I do sometimes. Sometimes my battles are impossible. Sometimes they're completely paralyzing. Sometimes they feel like they would drown me. Jesus already killed death. You know that song that people, sometimes we sing, I've read the back of the book and we win? You know why that is? Because Jesus already did everything that has to be done. It just now is awaiting the timing of God to see the fruits of what Jesus did. 
Jesus did what was necessary, not just to save people's souls, but to cleanse the whole universe of the curse. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so when David says, the Lord... This is what he's talking about. The same Lord who suffered crucifixion on a cross, the same Lord who suffered death for us, and the same Lord who ascended into heaven with a power and a majesty that nobody can ever even approach unto. The Lord. Now I want to ask you something in light of all of that. Are you your own shepherd? You think you are sometimes? Let me tell you something. When my life is the most miserable, uncomfortable, difficult, it's because I am being my own shepherd. I already told you what a sheep is like. A sheep isn't tall enough, smart enough. He doesn't have the anatomy and physiology. He doesn't have the lifespan. He doesn't have any of the tools needed to be a shepherd. One of the things sheep do that the shepherd has to prevent is wander off. Because in that moment, they're trying to be their own shepherd. Now, they're not smart enough to know that's what they're trying to do. And in just the same way, when we do that, in the moment, we're not smart enough to realize I'm wandering off like a lost sheep trying to be my own shepherd. We don't think about it. We just go off on our own with our little plans. That's why James says, go to today. You that say today or tomorrow... Uh, we will buy and sell and go into a city and get gain. Such a year. He says, you know not what your life is. It's just a vapor. And I preached recently, that is like your breath on a cold night. And then it's gone. How silly. And I pray it comforts you when you think about it, to think about a sheep wandering off as his own shepherd. Isaiah said this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. I want to get back to the rest of Colossians I started with a little earlier. 17th verse of Colossians 1, talking about Jesus. He is before all things. That alone I could meditate on for a while and could be be, uh, amazed in layers. He is before all things. The Word of God, God the Word, existed before everything. I don't understand that, but it's true. He is before all things and by Him all things consist. What makes the world work? You know, you learn in science that the earth is on an axis that's tilted. What's the axis? (laughs) You ever thought about that? Brother Russell, one of the last messages he preached before the Lord took him home, to his long home, he preached about some of the laws of the universe and things like gravity. He said, you ever think about what gravity is? 
I mean, we go to our little science class, fifth grade science, or wherever you learn about that kind of stuff, and the teacher says gravity, and we nod our heads and say, oh, yeah, gravity. What does it even mean? And how, if, I don't even know if this is accurate, but if our conception of the solar system is accurate, if it is, how in the world is a big spherical 25,000 mile around object suspended in space? Why doesn't it get sucked into the sun? Now you can tell me about physics and the laws of the universe, but you know what? You've never been out there. All of that, it's theory. It might be accurate theory. I don't know. People tell me, experts, that the universe is ever-expanding. I don't know if that's true either. That may be based on the idea that it blew up in the middle and all the particles are still shooting out into the abyss. Maybe it's just our comprehension of how vast it is that's expanding. I don't know. Maybe God's power is so powerful when He spoke, maybe, His words really are still reverberating throughout the entire universe. Maybe. Maybe they never stopped. Maybe billions and trillions and quadrillions of light years away out in the universe, his words are still moving. I don't know. Does it take time for God's voice to travel somewhere? <laughs> oh, I love that. You ever thought about that? I never have till just this moment. We speak and sound travels at a certain mileage per second, per hour. A certain rate. If you're ever target shooting, a lot of times you shoot a target, you hear it hit before you you're, see it, before you're aware of what happened. I don't know if it takes God's voice any time to travel anywhere. It takes us a while to hear it. By Him all things consist. My conception of that is that Jesus... Another place says he upholds all things by the word of his power. I think Jesus is the one suspending our little spherical earth in the, the vast abyss of space, if that's an accurate conception. He is the head of the body, the ecclesia, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, in other words, Jesus Christ alone, he did it. He doesn't need our religious traditions. He doesn't need our uh, religious scam artists. He doesn't need anything. He already did what had to be done. Now, what does he require from you? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. You know what he wants from you? To realize you're a sheep. And to follow him around like one. When you think about it like that, our lives are really not that complicated. And when I say, and I preach, and Brother Hackett has too, all of our problems are self-imposed, I mean, think about that for a minute. If the only thing Jesus wants is for you to understand what a sheep is, what a shepherd is, and then follow him, and even when you don't understand it, still follow him, because a sheep instinctively knows to trust his shepherd whether he conceptualizes it in his mind or not. 
then everything else is some kind of distraction. Can a sheep turn himself into something other than a sheep? You know what a sheep would need to survive in, in, a, in a rough, cruel world without a shepherd? He'd need to be something different. He'd need to have claws. He'd need to have incisors, canine teeth, or something. Or he'd need to grow some opposable thumbs and fingers and have a gun. It's okay if you all laugh. I mean, that's, that's kind of silly. How are you going to turn yourself who's a sheep, into something other than a sheep so you don't need a shepherd. That's when we get miserable, you see. I already quoted from John chapter 1. You read that again sometime, though. In the 14th verse, I believe, later in John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh. (laughs) Jesus was in the heart of the Father. In the beginning... God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Word. And then the Word became flesh. Now, I don't understand this, but I believe it's a mistake to say that Jesus was in the beginning. Although I've probably said that in this message. It may just be semantics. But the Word was in the beginning. And the Word became flesh. About 2,000 years ago, on a particular day, the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed a young virgin and she... Uh, became the mother of God in the flesh. And then he was born on a real day in a real place and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to read a little bit from Hebrews 1. It's still talking about who is this Lord. God who at sundry times, that means different times and in diverse manners, different ways, spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, by whom He made the worlds, whom He has appointed heir of all things, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You know why, first of all, Jesus was important? It was by inheritance, not by merit. First, He was the Son of God. Now, secondly, Jesus fulfilled his predestined purpose by being faithful. But he, by inheritance, obtained a name that was higher than the angels. Brothers and sisters, when God saves a person, they become the son or daughter of God. And by inheritance, not by merit, not by works, not by anything else, but by adopted kinship, we become more important than even nature. You know why I don't subscribe to environmentalism as a religion like a lot of these people? One, I know the one true God. And two, we have by inheritance obtained something that's more important than the nature that we live in. Now, still we should be good stewards and the very knowledge of that should make us good stewards. But mankind has been created in the image of God and is more important than anything else. 
And Jesus was the firstborn. <laughs> I could spend the rest of my life preaching this message, who is the Lord? And in some way, that's what all our preaching really is about. But I want to focus a little bit on what a shepherd is. Let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I'll read. John chapter 10, verse 1. This is Jesus' words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Let me pause right here for just a moment and get back to what I was saying about us trying to make ourselves into something other than a sheep. You know what Jesus, here's how a shepherd leads his sheep. Comes out in front of him, and he talks to him. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Maybe he says their name. They hear his voice. One of my favorite pictures of that, one of the preacher brothers was over in Israel, and uh, he said they came to this ravine where there was a road, and there was a big old flock of sheep on this side, a big flock on the other side, and they came to the road and intersected intersected in front of the tour bus at the same time. Ended up on either side. And he said to the bus driver, did the sheep get mixed up? Are they still all together with their flock? He said, oh, yes. He said, how? He said, the whole time, the shepherd is speaking in a low voice so his sheep can keep following him. The other shepherd's doing the same thing, and they pass on by. You see, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. He goes out in front of them. There is a reason that all through the Old Testament, you see the Ark of the Covenant going in front of the people. Remember when they crossed over uh, the river? Not the Red Sea, the other river. And they put down stones for remembrance. You know what went into the water first? People carrying the Ark of the Covenant. See, Jesus, God, has given us an example all through Scripture that our job is simply to follow Him. So easy. We cause all our own problems by trying to get out ahead of Him. That's a scary thing. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but they'll flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. You know, another thing that causes a lot of our problems is we listen longer than we should to false voices. And the longer you listen, the more it gets blended in with your own thought process and the less able you are to tell that it's a false voice. That's why Paul speaks so sternly. I've preached about that recently, about marking people who cause divisions, letting them be a curse, getting rid of them, people with doctrinal strife and conflict, because the longer that that type of thing intersects with the truth of God, the more gray it becomes. That's why religion is so dangerous. Now, one thing a sheep has going for him is... I guess he's not smart enough to sit there and listen to a false voice. (laughs) 
He just runs and keeps going. That's more how we need to be. This parable Jesus spoke unto them, but they understood not with things he was speaking. And then Jesus said unto them, now he clarifies it, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door for the sheep. All that ever came in before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen or respond to them. I am the door. By me, if any man come in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. Isn't that beautiful? I think of being in this sheep-shepherd relationship with Jesus Christ. He says they'll go in and out and find pasture. In one way that we're not exactly like sheep is God does allow us to come into His presence, be strengthened, gain wisdom, and live our lives. And then come back in. And then go back out and find pasture. See, a sheep, although that uh, stronghold, that fortress, the pen that He brings them into at night is the safest place they can be, they can't stay um, hold up there forever. They have to go out and find pasture. shepherd takes them where they need to go. The thief only comes to kill, still, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What do you think is the purpose of your life that is this vapor of air, this short span of time that's just a, a molecule in, in, in the span of time? If an entire nation or nations is like dust on a weighing balance, a scale, what do you think one person is like? Molecule so small you can't even see it. And yet Jesus loves us enough that he said, I came that you might have abundant life. Not so only you can get saved, but so that you can have abundant life in this life on this earth, knowing the shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but he that's a hireling and not the shepherd who's owned the sheep or not sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hiring flees because he's a hireling, cares not for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. And the Father knows me, and so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. That is an ongoing, present, progressive action of Jesus Christ. He is still continually laying down His life for us. He's interceding on our behalf constantly. And He repeats, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my, fathers are, I and my Father are one. And the very next verse says, Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. <laughs> Why? Because what Jesus was saying is either true or it's blasphemy. I have to say this about the shepherd as well. There's a popular idea in religion that was popularized years ago, but people still subscribe to it, that Jesus was a good prophet. Jesus was a good guy of history. Jesus had some good ideas, but he's not really God. And I want you to know, you think about this and you'll agree it's true. If Jesus wasn't God and he claimed all the things he did, he was the worst kind of person. Either he is exactly what he said or he was a lunatic. And we know he wasn't a lunatic. There is no middle of the road. 
There's no halfway Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He's one with God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. God spoke. I want to try to explain this, although my mind can't. When God said, let there be light, the logos of God went out from his mouth and made light. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, wow. Well, this feels a little bit like Brother John's Sunday school lesson. I haven't even gotten through a whole verse. The Lord is my shepherd. There are a few other verses I want to focus on, and I'll I'll get close to concluding here. I asked you this earlier. I want you to consider it some more. Are you your own shepherd, or do you think you are at times? And let me ask you this. What would your life be like if you were never confronted with your own weakness, with your own insignificance, with your own powerlessness? What would your life be like if you never saw those struggles that made you doubt your ability to continue? What kind of person would you be? Wouldn't you be a shepherdless sheep (laughs) running around trying to do your own thing even though it doesn't make any sense? You know, Scripture teaches and actually says explicitly that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And the greatest sin that I think we can commit against God, if that's true, which it is, Scripture teaches it, is to not trust Him, to have no faith. You know why God got mad? You know why God wanted to kill all of the Israelites except Moses? Maybe Joshua and Caleb and a few faithful ones. Moses had to intercede and beg God. God was going to start over with Moses, and he had every right to. You know why? They had no faith. They didn't trust his promises. They grumbled and complained. They're in the middle of the wilderness, the desert, being sustained. They have clothes that never wear out. That in itself is an amazing miracle. Shoes that never wear out. They're getting food from heaven. They don't have to plant crops, harvest them, put down fertilizer, pull up the weeds and work for all these months to get food. They get free food. All This is the best welfare system that's ever been invented. And just like people on welfare, they're grumbling and complaining about how better it was in slavery. That's why God's anger kindled against them. That's why he was so mad. Rebellions like the sin of witchcraft. Now, here's what the Lord said to us through Isaiah. 30, 30th chapter, 15th verse. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You want to be safe? Return to God and rest. Relax. See, God knows what's best. We get our little ideas and our little sheep brains about what we need to do with our little sheep lives. And God, the shepherd, Jesus Christ, may understand that we are in this green pasture for a lot longer than we think we should be. We're sitting here being fed and we're getting fattened up because He has a journey to take us on where there is no green pasture. That's something about sheep and the shepherd. He leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. 
through dark places, through dry places, through places with no water, and their only job is to keep on going and keep on following His voice. Let me ask you this, and you'll realize the foolishness of it as well. If you're in the middle of green pasture, why would you go look for a desert? And that is what we do too when we're like, God, give me something to do. Wasted all my time sitting here learning about your love and your truth. I need something hard. Don't worry, the deserts will come. The rocky places will come. And if you don't keep your little sheep head down and eat the grass that God is feeding you while you can, you'll wish you had later. Relax. (laughs) Now, no doubt this message is, of course, to me first and then all to the rest of you. In returning unto the Lord, in rest, you shall find salvation. I, I could sum that up by saying this. The righteousness of Jesus Christ produces a calm and quiet spirit. And that is so contrary to this nature that I've inherited through my flesh and blood. I don't naturally have a calm and quiet spirit. You all know that. That's why you've been praying for me. That's why I've been like I've been. That's why I'm so different now. Because finally... For now, for this season of my life, I'm okay keeping my little sheep head down eating the blessings of God until I hear His voice saying, come on over here. Come on. Follow me. Come on. And I go, meh. Okay, meh. And then He stops talking and there's no voice for me to follow so I keep my little sheep head down and eat right there. In case that doesn't make sense to you, let me make it really clear. It would be insane. Crazy. To go somewhere that the voice of God is not leading. Now, sometimes it takes us a while to realize that. The Apostle Paul was going to go into Asia. What might have happened if he did that? Maybe he would have been killed and we wouldn't have half the letters of the Bible that we have. Could God let him know not to? He is our shepherd. We're the sheep of his pasture. Don't be afraid to wait on the Lord. I I guess I need to conclude. I had so much here from a man named Philip Keller who was a shepherd. Uh, Maybe I'll get to it in another message some other time. But I'll just stop. I want you to know this. This sums up everything I was saying. I'll conclude with this. God will go to whatever lengths necessary to eradicate in you all forms of self-reliance. Whatever He has to do for your own good. Because the best thing for you as a sheep is to follow the shepherd's voice. And if you haven't yet learned to do that, he may go to great lengths to help you learn because you need to know that for all the rest of your life. Now, that's why it's not pleasant for a season. But it's necessary. So, the Lord is my shepherd.